Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. This is Chad. This week, Dan and I get a chance to sit down with Mark Edwards. Mark Edwards is one of the partners in our firm, Take New Ground, and he works with all of our clients on the strategic and governance side of things. Mark has an incredibly impressive history with the companies that he's worked for and the roles that he's been in. This is a fascinating conversation. We get into the weeds about some of the specifics of funding and governance and uh, and a bit of that strategy. I can't wait for you to hear this. This is very, very practical. And I look forward to having Mark on the podcast more. But without further delay, I introduce to you Mark Edwards. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. This is Chad. I'm here with Dan today. Dan, how are you? I'm alive and well above ground, and it's a good start. That's great. Well, Adrian's not here with us today. He is still above ground, so that's good. Uh, Both still above ground. Adrian is in Barbados, uh, taking a little vacation, getting out of here. So today I'm with Dan, but we also have a guest today. And I'm really excited about this conversation. Uh, Mark Edwards is with us. And Mark is an integral part of our team, specifically on the strategy side. And there's so much. I'm not going to even try to explain to you all of the the facets of which Mark steps in on a process with our clients. I'm going to let him do that because he could do a much better job than me. But I just wanted to write up at the top of this conversation, Sam. So grateful to have you here, Mark. Thank you for joining us. And I uh, can't wait to hear what you have to say today. Well, thanks for having me. And um, I am too above ground and having a great day. So um, <laughs> this is awesome to be with you. <laughs> you know, it's a good day when you wake up and you're still above ground. That's right. It's a good start. It's a good start. <laughs> well, Mark, I wanted to, I wanted to start with a li- maybe a little bit of history um, and then also currently um, – where you're at with the TNG team, the, what you offer and what you're working on with, with our client, both our clients and your clients and this really cool founder workshop that we were able to do a couple months ago together um, and, and the future of that as well. I heard you, I've heard you talk a couple of times about being in the third phase of your career. And when I hear you tell stories about where you've been, projects you've worked on, uh, things that you've done with companies, I think you've lived nine to 10, 11, maybe 12 lives. Um, but I would love to hear, you know, what is the third phase of your career and what's been the buildup to that third phase? Well, thank you. And uh, I think that as I look back, um, the transition from this, the first to the second phase was really the time in which I met Dan. Um, and I had been in the corporate world um, working, well, most recently in the corporate world for a, uh, for a publicly traded company. I was the number two person in that corporate officer there. Um, and um, we, we'd, we'd had a, quite a rocket ride there, taking that from a 50 million market cap to a 10 billion market cap, NASDAQ 100 within, within five years. And I stepped out of that as um, uh, rather than continue there, um, uh, it was it was time to move to something new, and that was actually the time at which I first met Dan and got involved in the whole world of transformation, um, and that really allowed me to um, 
going to the next phase for me, which is venture capital, um, which I'd already actually started to uh, begin. I'd begun down that path before I met Dan and became aware of the whole uh, transformation work that underpins what TNG does today. Um, but it really, it really helped me as I stepped into venture capital. Um, and it's, it's a completely different relationship from investing your own money when you invest your own money alongside other people's. There's a whole responsibility there. And it was a great um, learning phase for me. And, and we had a great fund. Um, we, we had a top 25, uh, top, top quarter, top 25% return on the fund. Um, what I realized, though, as I went through that process, and that was, it was about 10 years to work through that fund, what I realized was that um, my, my passion was much more in the operational side and with the founders than it was on the investor side. I ended up jumping into and running a couple of companies, getting them sold, um, so that when we looked at, do we want to raise another fund or not? I said to my partner, you know, I, I really think that I want to be on the other side of the table working with founders. And that became really the third phase of my career and the one I'm in now. And it's the most satisfying phase of my career, frankly, to be able to come alongside founders to understand what it is they need in order to fulfill their vision um, you know, I found in the corporate world and in the VC world, um, uh, everything is driven really by metrics and driven by numbers and ultimately it's driven by dollars. Founders are not driven by dollars. Founders are driven about change. They're, they're driven to bring about change in the world and to bring about transformation. And so what I realized was, you know, when I first met Dan and really started to get exposed to the world of transformation, that the real transformation agents are founders. Yeah. And so to really bring about change and transformation, uh, the important thing is to support founders. And that's what I'm doing now and will be doing for the rest of my career um, is to support founders. And so that's the reason I'm also connected with TNG and work with TNG is that it's a great platform for bringing about change and indeed for supporting founders. It's interesting because as we work, Mark and I have been working together for 15 or so years, maybe more. And um, what we were just unwittingly, that's what we were drawn to. We've worked with a number of founders raising money and, uh, and then operationally, turning the operations around, scaling the operations, uh, dealing with, um, Mark is really gifted with um, governance issues and Working with, and then I, we, we, he would start working with governance issues, and one of us would be on the board, and we'd be working with investors, and uh, or, and or the staff. We kind of switched around quite a bit, and that all came out of just or, an organic relationship that we had together. And we had a another company we worked we had formed earlier than this, but uh, you know, Mark, I'd love to have you talk a little bit about what you. Like, what are some of the things that have driven your focus? Because you've done some, some refining. You've listened. Mm -hmm. And what are some of the pain points that you find that most entrepreneurs, especially founders, people starting something, but, but owners, right? What do they go through? What are some of the pain points you found are vital and, and you know, crucial, I would say, passages on the, on the way to being a successful entrepreneur? 
Well, the first one is passing through the valley of death. Um, <laughs> and I, I even made a quip on uh, one, of the, one of the websites that we, we operate. It's called founder911.com. And uh, I got Dan and Adrian on that website as, as, as uh, the partners. And the quip I make on that site is, as a VC, I wouldn't talk, I would not seriously engage with a company unless they could tell me their near-death experience. And the reason I would explain them is, I would say, so tell me a near-death experience. And they would look at me and go, oh, I haven't had one. I said, well, then come back when you've had one, because I don't want you to have the near-death experience on my dime. And, um, and those companies who could tell me how they've navigated a near-death experience, it's like, great, let's talk. Because every company goes through at least one, if not more, near-death experiences. And if they haven't had it, they're going to have it. And if a founder's listening, they'll know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't had it, it's going to come. So just be prepared that <laughs> you're going to have to go through that passage. So, and, and I say that somewhat, um, in, in, you know, somewhat tongue in cheek. However, it, it is one of those things I've observed. And I think that, Dan, to your point, there's a number of things that I've really observed over the decades. And what I've tried to do is, is put those into a format that we can actually scale out. So for example, one of the big things that all founder owners go through is the what I call the conflation of ownership, governance, and operations. So every founder, when they start, owns a business, they run the business, and they, well, they actually don't even realize the governance piece because they miss that. Um, and so, um, one of the things that we put together and have been running for a while now is, is a workshop we call GOGO, which stands for Goals, Ownership, Governance, and Operations. And in that, what we do is we create the distinction between uh, owning a business, running a business, and being responsible for the governance of that business. I call them three hats. And I've seen this so many times, whether it's being in a board meeting where an owner wants to get into um, or a founder wants to get into ownership issues. They want to talk about operational issues. And there are some operational issues, yes, you, you can talk about. Um, but it really helps, and I found it helped, to, to sometimes point out, well, which hat are you wearing right now? When you're having this conversation, are you wearing your operating hat, your ownership hat, or your governance hat? And <clears throat> creating those distinctions, I feel, has been one of the key key things to do with um, owners and founders um, because otherwise conflating those particular streams and conflating those conversations causes confusion for, for example, employees when you really are discussing things that really about ownership or, 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 um, or governance when it's really it's, this is an operational forum. So I found that creating that distinction has probably been one of the biggest, one of the most fundamental things to actually do. Mark, for clarity purpose, do you mind just giving a, a, a loose definition of what you're talking about when you talk about ownership, operation, and governance? Just yeah. I'm just thinking about listenership yeah. of all sizes that we have. We have solopreneurs, we have teams of three, and we have teams of I don't know, probably team, somebody who's running a team of 30. So I'm wondering if you could just kind of break those down. Cause I think what you're talking about is so 
important, so brilliant to be defining what hat am I, if I'm wearing all of those hats, what hat am I wearing now? And how am I talking to the people who that affects? Yeah. So, so operations is running the business. It's the things you do to um, create a product or a service to sell that, to pay the bills, to pay your team hiring, these are operational. It's where most of the time is spent and most of the focus is spent. The second part is the ownership. And that is most founders are typically um, owners of their business. Uh, They may have a co-founder, they may have some investors, but there's an ownership piece. And I think that's fairly clear. The, the bit that isn't usually that well understood is the governance piece. And I look at governance as being the, the buffer or the, uh, the washer, the gasket that sits between operations and ownership. Mm. You don't really want your owners getting involved in the operations. It's not actually very helpful. Mm. Governance is a, it's usually the third piece that gets looked at and it's usually overlooked, actually. Um, governance is usually something that's forced upon uh, a founder by, uh, by investors. Yeah. Um, that's when they and, start to feel pushed out of their own business. Well, yeah, it can be. And so one of the things I like to do is, is get ahead of it and say, look, if, if, if indeed you're ready to take investors in, then let's get the governance piece set up first. Before the, before the investor comes in and wants to start to um, design the the governance piece. Let's get ahead of that because governance is a really important piece. What it, if we think about it at high level, governance. Um, what what governance does it 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 creates accountability for operations. So for the chief executive, uh, the executive team, the management team, there's an accountability for them to the governance. The governance is then accountable to owners. And so you break that direct linkage between ownership and operations. And governance becomes this piece in the middle that has that holds the accountability for operations and is accountable to the owners. It's where the seat of strategy is. It's, um, it's really where the um, vision of the founder, uh, the operators, can be tested and um, worked through. It's it's the support mechanism for the operations team, um, and it's the place that the owners can take comfort that the enterprise value is being looked after. That that the um, that there's responsibility for the overall business there in the governance piece. So it's normally a board of directors. Um, it's the piece that that rather it be foisted upon the founders that um, I like to you know get that explained and let's get it set up. Um, and it may not have to be all set up ahead of time, but at least be thinking about it. So when you get into a conversation, you know what you're talking about, as opposed to you kind of get pushed into something. It's the and- the mindset, the way I look at it, it's the synthesis of the, it's really the, the management of the interest between the owner and the organization, right? And that there's a fiduciary responsibility of, of the, that's why you want to have other business folks, outside folks on the board, as well as the owners, if, if there's an owner representation. And 
you've got the accountability of the executives, but if the business is working well, it's going to serve all the interest inside, you know, on both sides of the, of the, of the ball there. But it often gets, as Mark kind of illuminated, it gets, it seems to get confused or it, it's kind of the stepchild until something happens and you go, oh my God, we need to have some governance here, right? And then that, that's always an interesting time. It's always, as Mark said, better to get that thinking, at least the thinking up front in so that, and you put the kind of like in your constructing something, you stub it out, you get it ready uh, so that as the organization grows, you're prepared to, to institute that piece. It's a big deal. It, it is look, properly done. It, it's incredibly important. Um, I've, I've seen companies that were great companies but didn't have the right governance and it really hurt them. And I've seen companies who were more embryonic and had great governance and it really gave them such a boost that it was phenomenal. So um, it's, it's the opportunity for the management team, the operating team, to get um, different perspectives. They can be mature. They can be um, from from you can bring in um, talent that allows you to see things you wouldn't otherwise see. Um, uh, so it isn't just, oh, they're here to supervise the operating team on behalf of the owners. They're really there to help bring the vision to life. Just like you've got your operating team bringing a vision to life, the, the board, the governance is also about bringing the vision to life. Um, in a way that will produce value for the owners. That's the way I look at it. It's all about envisioning. Well, it's it's about bringing the making the vision reality to create value. That that truly is the responsibility of of the governors and the founders. Typically, are going to be involved in all three. The founder is going to be running the business, or at least on the uh, on the on the management team. They're going to be an owner, and they're going to play a governance role. And that's usually the one there least accustomed to and least familiar with uh, is in a governance piece. So um, my view, and, and this has just been working with many, many companies over the last couple of decades, is seeing that having those interests surfaced and understood and balanced and, and integrated, that's when real success happens. So how do you, this is a question for both of you, um, and whoever wants to go first, maybe we start with Mark. How do you start to, what, what's your suggestion to a founder who maybe they haven't taken any money yet or they have, but nobody has yet stepped in and said, we need to take control of this governance thing. And it's that holy shit moment. How do you suggest that they start to be proactive about that rather than reactive when it's forced upon them? What, what conversations can they start having? What things inside the business should they start considering to make sure that they're in tune with when, when they hand over that governance or, or, or there's a surprise in there, how can they start to prepare themselves for that? Well, I, I, I don't look at it as they, they hand over. I think it's, sure. uh, it, it's a matter that they, that the founder grows that um, grow skills in that area. So the way I look at it is this is just an opportunity for, for growth for the founder. So typically a founder, a lot of founders I know, they have particular domain expertise around their products and services, around their markets. I mean, you know, the greatest founders are the ones who really understand their, their customers and their markets. 
And then what they do is they tend to grow their experience set and they become more knowledgeable about the business aspects, um, about you know, how to read a P&L and a balance sheet and how to potentially raise money or do the things outside of their normal operating um, processes. Yeah. And I view governance as yet another yeah. domain for them to learn and grow in. Yeah, it's that distinction between government. When you start working at the, on the governance level, you're you're really starting to work on the business, as not so much in it. You're you're strategizing, you're you're resourcing people on your board. The board can be such a great resource, creative, and and um, business wise, they can open up different channels and uh, they can bring money to the table. They've got ideas. They can bring different perspectives to marketing and so on. So it's really the step of it's it's the step of a maturing business where an owner's mm -hmm. lifting themselves out of the operations and now are working on the more strategic aspects of growing the business i think dan that's a great way of looking at it and and that that's always a very good jumping off point is when when the founder um, is is at the point of saying hey look i need to really start being more strategic um uh, and put a strategic process in place. I mean, often people use the term plan. I prefer process because to me, a strategic plan is really, it's a process. It'll produce a plan. The plan's going to change. The value comes from the process. And, then, the process, and the process is a result of the fundamental principles you're kind of the, you're holding yourself to in the development of it. You, you, you operate, when I listen to you talk with, uh, and you start to work this, there are certain principles that you just remain true to. And so as the market changes, the, the, the plan might change, but the process comes out of these principles that you use to kind of find the daylight in the change, right? Right. And so what you're going to do as a founder and the jumping off point is saying, okay, I, I need to, you know, grow some uh, knowledge and experience in this area. Who do I go to? And that's where typically those uh, people you're going to go to who, who are going to bring in skills and experiences that you don't have right now, they become you know, advisors and maybe eventually even board members. And that's how you kind of grow it organically with the idea that, look, I want to get more strategic. I want to start working on my business. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's a matter of getting dialed into uh, people who can be of assistance. They may or may not be directly in the domain. Often you're going to have, want to have some of them be within the markets that you're in as you don't have to educate them too fully about that. Uh, but there's also people who may not necessarily be experts in your market because some of the basic principles here just carry across from industry to industry um, that, um, you know, when you're looking at the strategic um, processes coming in, they're, they're really industry agnostic. So um, to, the, to, finding, that, to that point, Mark, that's, kind of how we first got started. We were driving, you had asked me to call an entrepreneur you knew. We were driving home from a, one of the trainings and we had done a bunch of work on negotiating. And you, mm -hmm. he said to me, you know, I've got a friend who's in this industry. And I go, I'm not mm -hmm. in that industry. He goes, but she, he goes, I think she would really benefit from your services. We, you know, and she's thinking about, basically it was just after the dot-com boom and, and 2001, uh, you know, 9-11 had hit. And so she'd lost 
she hadn't performed when the dot she just got a bunch of money dot com hits she pulls the thing out 911 hits goes down again she loses her options because they haven't performed and she's thinking about dissolving the company she's not these vcs want to dissolve the company go back to their main business and she and i guess she's depressed and had talked to mark before he come to the weekend and he had just said you know after this weekend i think you could really help this entrepreneur um, negotiate their way out of it. What do you think? And I said, I don't know. I have to talk to her. And he goes, well, let's get her on the phone. Now we're driving to the airport and Mark's going to New Zealand and I'm going to Italy. And, and he gets her on the, on the phone and he introduces me and we have a good talk. And, and I, I go, I heard you're going to, you're going to the board this coming Tuesday to say, Hey, look, let's got it. You guys want to dissolve it, dissolve it. I said, if you can put that off for a couple of weeks and get this information to me, I think, you know, I'd be able to tell you if we can do something. I mean, you have nothing to lose. So she did. She put it off and we ended up uh, devising, uh, basically re restructuring $13.5 million in debt. I told her I can get that down to 1.5. <laughs> I got it down to 1.67, but eventually got it down to 1.5 when <laughs> by the end of the deal. And, and then we helped them also... Uh, not only turn the company around operationally, we raised money for it. We turned money. We helped build the board. We reduced the executive team. We restructured the whole thing. And they eventually sold for $40 million. And when we took, we took them over, they were only grossing about $3 million a year. And It was a great exit. I, I'll never forget that time, actually. Um, yeah, coming out of that, that transformational uh, weekend, training weekend, and then meeting her for coffee, and her saying to me, I think I'm going to shut the company down this week. I'm like, well, hold on. Before you do that, talk to Dan. <laughs> and uh, it was a great, yeah, great success. And, that, and it's, that, it's that, your point that the, that the principles, there are certain principles yeah. that go across different, all the businesses. Yeah. Yeah. And, and look, I think that's the other point in, in this. Um, the other thing I've observed here over the last few years is that every founder pretty much thinks that they're on their own, that no one else has been through this, that um, I'm lonely. Um, and that's, which is another great reason, by the way, to set up a board of directors, because it's the one place that you can truly go and get great support, um, uh, guaranteed. Um, if you can't, you don't have the right board, but if you have the right board, it is a place of, of, of support and comfort. And that's a thing I've seen so many founders um, I've met who are just frustrated. Um, it could be with a co-founder. It could be with a number of different issues, uh, investors, whatever. And, and founders are so tenacious and so passionate and re relentless and persistent. And then they get to the point where it's like, oh, I, I just can't keep going anymore. And this is this is very normal. Um, and, and that's part of, I think the mission we're on here is to say, look, you don't need to be alone. Um, you know, there's, there are resources out there and, and that's a big part of our role really is, is just to say that there's resources that you can tap into. Let's help with that. Um, because, you know, every, every business was started by a founder, whether it's, it's, yeah, it's a corner bakery or it's a Fortune 50 company. It got started by a founder and that founder has gone through their near-death experiences, and, but it's grown to whatever it is. Um, 
But it wouldn't have done that without the persistence and the passion and the vision of the founders. And every founder goes through these mm -hmm. very difficult uh, um, times. And that's kind of what I view as what we're here for is to provide support for them as they go through these times. I think it's so interesting for you to talk about the board as a resource because I've worked with so many founders and talked with so many founders that see their board as a threat. Um, and I, I think there's, that's a relatable position for a lot of founders and, and that the idea that they can be your greatest resource in not, not only not feeling alone, but like co-creating in this thing. And, uh, and that's pretty beautiful. I, I think Mark, we should have you back for a series of episodes because there's so many, I've already made oh, yeah. a page of notes on, yeah. on branch out complete conversations that we could have. You know, what, um, you, what you just said, Chad is interesting because I have found with when, when founders relate to their boards as a threat, they merely went through establishing a board to raise money or to get something rather right. than with the overall purpose of what a board is, can really be, and then thoughtfully placed people on the board that both would be great for, you know, great uh, stewards of, of the uh, organization and, and would look out for the, their fiduciary responsibilities, who care about the founder, who care about the people who are working and care about the organization as an entity. You know, it's, it's a big deal. Yeah. Well, and some founders just don't want their ideas to be questioned too. I mean, that's, that's part, that's, I mean, yeah. part of it. Yeah. Well, then it comes down to uh, look. I'm I'm entirely with you. If 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 you've not thought through why am I taking money? What is the impact of taking money? Because it's not about the money. It it's when you take investment, outside investment, there are going to be strings with that. And governance. If if you don't have the governance piece thought through then it will be thought through for you, meaning you won't have any choice about this. And that's when I've seen the, that, um, uh, that friction occur is people didn't realize, oh yeah, okay, it's going to be bored. And but they didn't really understand what it was about um, and how it operated. And that's why I think getting that thought through before um, it becomes a fait accompli um, and, and, you talked about that co-creation, co-designing the board. Um, actually, not even co-design it. You can design it ahead of time. And then if if you do take money in, then you can fit the investors into the board structure, the government structure you've created, rather than not have anything. It's the same way I look at you know raising money is uh, don't sit there and, and wait to get a term sheet. Have your term sheet ready to go. So it's like, okay, here's the basis on which we're raising money as opposed to, oh, would you put money into my company? And um, yeah, I'd love to see your term sheet. No, get proactive in every aspect of running your business. Take ownership for every aspect of the business. Take ownership of the governance piece, fundraising, whatever those outside things are. Um, you know, if, if, because if you don't do that, then other people do it and then you feel like you've lost control. That's when you mm -hmm. feel like you have. Um, I'm, I'm in a fight. I'm in a battle. No, you can, you can get ahead of all of this stuff. Yeah. And not tending to the board is another thing. I mean, Mark and I have been in a, a few board fights, you know, had to navigate for owners who had neglected the board or haven't really worked to maintain its life and its purpose. And then they'll sneak up on you. 
you know, and these, those things sneak up on you on, in more mature situations. So. Well, Mark, you, I want to, I want to make a little bit of a, a hard left um, to kind of round out this conversation. If you're okay with that, you've mentioned a couple of times raising money and really, I love how this conversation has taken shape because it's really, we've really talked about this transition from when like the company is this thing that the founder is pumping life into. And then at some point, this company becomes a living, breathing thing itself. Right. And, and so uh, I'm interested to know. So one of the questions or one of the topics that comes off, comes up often for founders is when do I know? When do I know when to do this? Or how do I know when to do this? And you have some really cool tools that you were just sharing with us just before hitting record that I'm really excited about. I want, if it's okay, I'd love to round out this. I think this will be fun. We could do sort of a rapid fire um, to both you and Dan, if you're willing. Um, you provided this, this, um, this document, 10 Reasons to Bootstrap Your Company. Mm -hmm. Love the idea. Um, and I want to have, I want to hear what you, uh, how you define bootstrapping first before we dive into this, but I think it'd be fun to take three or four of these. I'll pick them, put them out to you guys and give me a rapid fire comment on each one of them. Does that sound all right? Sure. All let's right, let's, let's do it. So first, just to frame this up, uh, when you talk about 10 reasons to bootstrap your company, what are you talking about when you talk about bootstrapping your company? That means uh, not taking outside investment. So that means um, using your credit cards. It means loans. It means trading services. It means doing everything to everything founders do before they actually take outside formal investment. Great. Great. So again, I'm just going to throw a couple of these out here, out there, and I would love to hear any of your comments on them. So the first one that caught my eye, you've not yet achieved product market fit as one of the reasons to bootstrap your company. What do you mean? Well, the last thing investors want to see is a company that doesn't really know uh, that its product um, is suitable for a particular um, set of customers. Um, this used to be the case that you know, years ago, investors would invest in a technology and then that techno or, or a product, and then they would um, be investing in trying to find the market. Um, we're at a point now where it's actually much easier to, um, to, it's less investment to get to the point of engaging with customers. So until you really have validated that your product or service has a particular market um, has engagement from customers. You can show what the engagement is. Um, it's not a good. It's not a good time to go out and try to raise money. You you need to say I've got a set of customers um, for my product or service. They're buying it for these reasons. They're getting this value out of it. Um, they come back uh, at this rate. So you've got you've got some metrics around the product market fit. Anything to add there, Dan? No, I, he nailed it all. I mean, I, it's, it's clear as a bell. I mean, those are things that investors don't want to wrestle through because it's going to take money to get there, 
right? That's the bottom line. What you're thinking about is if you're put yourself in the investor's shoes, what does the investor want to see? What, what's going to make them feel good about this risk? What's going to give them the upside? Like you want to create the largest upside, or if you will, a positive asymmetry as possible in your offering. So bootstrapping it is preparing yourself to get there. And if, and that's, that's a big test. That's probably the, it takes some character, some grit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Next one. You're still developing key business metrics. Well, that fits right off the last one um, because once you've got your product market fit, you're able to then start to develop uh, metrics for things like cost of acquiring your customers, uh, what's the value of the customer in a year, lifetime value of a customer, um, cost of delivering your products or service. So unless you've got those metrics really dialed in, uh, again, you're, you're, you're not ready to go and, and get, uh, tested out there in the investment marketplace. And if you watch, if you watch Shark Tank, that's one of the first things they're sniffing. What are the metrics? Does this person done their homeworks? How is this? How do you get to this market? How do you scale it? What's it going to take? What what kind of investment? You know, where is the where where is the market? Who's your who's your who is your avatar? Who are you aiming at? How do you get to them? There's just a number of metrics you'll see the sharks asking questions about because if they haven't done that homework that's a pretty big that's a that becomes a big gap or a big span that they've got to make. what kind of history do investors usually want to see on those metrics like what kind of um time frame do they want to know that those metrics have been measured over you know there's not one thing and and one of the reasons i i put a checklist of 10 here is because they're they're you look at this and you go well, is the one really important thing? Actually, I think I think the most important thing off this list is, do you have a team? Yeah. Mm. Because um, it doesn't make sense to go and look for investment until you have a team, because that's ultimately what investors invest in, is they invest in teams. Stuff happens in the market, stuff happens with products and services, stuff happens with technology. Um, the question is, how is the team going to respond and react? And that's typically what. So if you have uh, a team in place and you've got your product market fit and you've got your metrics, th- then, then the whole investment conversation becomes so much easier. Um, so it's, there's not one thing. And, um, yeah, if you've got a very strong team, you don't have to go too deep on the other stuff. If, you, if you've got a team... Uh, but you've got very strong, but maybe the team hasn't really been together that long or they haven't operated so much, but you've got a very strong product market fit and great metrics, then, well, then that overcomes that. So it's a sort of a balancing act between a number of different things. So the whole idea here is until you've got a certain key things either in place or thought through, you don't really want to um, make that investment of going out and looking for funding. Um, you're better off. You're better off to stay bootstrapping. And there's positive reasons you might want to bootstrap too. That um, you've got access to debt, which means you don't need to go to equity. Um, mm-hmm. It may mean that your um, you know valuations are going to be growing further. Um, in, uh, uh, if if you can hold on and bootstrap a bit longer, you may hit a much higher valuation. So there's 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 multiple reasons here. And a lot of it's timing, but 
your point about team is such a huge deal because like you said, if you have a good team and you haven't got some of these things worked out, the team will, you won't have to spend as much time on it. You'll have expertise on the team that can help you. And if you have a board around that, then you're in great shape. What's yeah. what, What's a, we can end on this. Thank you for those. And we're going to provide this PF, PDF link to this PDF in the description of the podcast so that people can go get the rest of this thing. There's really good stuff on here. I don't want you to miss out on it. That's just a taste of what's here. Both of you mentioned a good team. I'm wondering, maybe we close out with this. What constitutes from the investor's perspective, what constitute, constitutes a quote unquote good team? Mark, you already mentioned longevity or tenure together. What else? Well, diverse, you know, well, diverse expertise that matches, you know, the, the market that you're going after and the product and services and, and the synergy, the ability to work together that, you, you know, these, they get, they get shit done and they get it done without a lot of it, without a lot of trouble and issue. And they, they enjoy working together. I mean, those are things I, I, you find people who are creative together. They may not even like each other at times, but they love the business and they're dedicated to the business and they're able to give themselves in a way that, that serves the business, right? Those are people that, 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 that makes a huge difference. I, I, have, I have two words. It's flow state. Yeah, um, state and you can, you can see, I could see it when I was a VC. I can see it now. As I go in as a founder supporter. I know if the team's got flow state or not. And um, you just, you can see it, you can sense it. You know, there's an energy that's there when a team's in flow state and they can do anything. Uh, they can manifest anything. They can create anything. That's, that's if you have a, a team in flow state, you can do whatever. Nothing um, is too big. It's just, everything is like an opportunity. Exactly. And so that's something that, um, whether you're going in as a board member or an investor or another team member, that's what you're looking for. That's what I was always looking for. And I, um, you know, that, that last corporate gig I had before I became VC, um, we had flow state there. That was before the term flow state had been coined, but we had flow state. It meant we operated like we knew what each other was thinking. We had Vulcan mindset. We, um, we weren't, the best of friends we didn't hang out at weekend actually we worked on weekends so we didn't hang out at weekends because we were working seven days a week but um it wasn't like we were all friends together or anything like that but we just happened to be in flow state we had created this thing i would now call flow state and it's magical um when you see that you want to be part of it whether you're an investor or a board member or another team member you want to join flow state right and getting to that is it's it's having the culture, it's having the vision, it's having the respect and appreciation. It's all the thing actually TNG helps companies do is get to that point. And that to me is, it's, it's the magic. You know, and, and I think at the very bottom line of that is you're, you, you and your team are willing to commit to something bigger than yourself mm -hmm. because you get by serving that larger purpose, you're ultimately going to be taken care of. And, and a good team gets that and continues to breed that through the culture. And that takes some work. The larger you get, the more complex it gets and the more sophisticated the, the um, leadership needs to be. Yeah. But there are, Mark, simple, there are principles to hold to, right? 
Mark, I really love the the bit you do that you did in the in the founders workshop about a friction culture and a flow coach culture. I thought that was really spot on. It was in my notes one of the things I wanted to get to with you today, and just time just doesn't doesn't allow. So, along with you know uh, why talent is actually leaving companies, um, strategy is a container, uh, culture is the medium. Like there's so much. So please come back. All that to say, just. To. Please come back. So there's uh, so I've, much. I've really, I've really enjoyed this. Thank you for having me today. I don't normally do these kind of things, but I loved it. This is fun. I'll, I'll do it again. Oh yeah, we've got, well, I think we have you back regularly. There's so much, Mark, that I've been wanting to get out there that you do, and this is such a great platform to do it on. And we can go deep on some of these. There's, there's, there's a number of podcasts here we can play with. So. And yeah, you bring so much, obviously, knowledge and experience that is practical. And as the questions that are top of mind for founders and, and entrepreneurs, business owners. So thank you for bringing it today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Take right, care. Bye-bye, everybody. Thanks. Bye-bye. Well, my friends, thank you so much for listening to yet another conversation on the Naked Leadership Podcast. Your listenership and commitment to the podcast means the world to us. If this podcast or these conversations has helped helped or inspired you in any way, would you mind going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a five-star rating and a glowing review? This helps us grow the movement and reach more leaders and teams. Finally, the greatest compliment that you can give us is sharing the podcast with your teams and the other leaders in your life. Until next week, bye-bye everybody.